If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. You can read some about the thing you're about to hear at philosophyimprov.com, or if you're a really nice person, you can express that niceness at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Now, please enjoy the show. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I am Bill Arnett, an improv aficionado interested in learning philosophy. And I'm Mark Lintemai, a philosophy lover that is a lover of a lover of wisdom who's excited to learn improv. And together we are, am I doing it right? Together we are philosophy, philosophy versus, versus improv. improv. Yeah, that, that, uh. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. I believe it is your turn to start us off, unless you have any, uh, preparatory words before starting off. You got it. And for any listeners, we just kind of talk about our chosen vocations here and see how they align, see how they collide, and enjoy each other's company as though a mutual appreciation society for philosophy and improv. I think you greatly overstate the number of people who are going to listen to episode eight as their first episode. Well, you know, (laughs) one never knows. You got to hear something three times before it really locks in. Now, we both have a little topic, something we brought in with us that we, we hope to work in, although it may not necessarily work in, but that's fine. You're right. It sounded like I was just chastising you for orienting people, but I do have some orientation text that I merely forgot to read. (laughs) Okay. We're going to let what you just said be the orientation. That is fine. Fair enough. Start us off. I thought I sounded, I thought there was a a however in the air, but uh, (laughs) there is not. Fair enough. This is a relaxed day. However we want to slide today is good with me, reacting to the situation as it is on the ground. You got it. I thought it'd be fun. You know, sometimes when people talk about comedy or humor or, or writing or whatnot, they sometimes they say, hey, there, here's a fun situation or here's something that's interesting or do you ever, your friends ever make it in there or people you know that ever end up as improv characters? And I thought it'd be fun to kind of like to do that a little bit and kind of explore what, what that means, what that is. All right. How does that How sound? How do we do it? <laughs> here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> I'm going to clear my throat first and we can, we can probably edit this out or not. Seasonal. Not COVID-related, seasonal. But here's what we're going to do. Mark, I want you to pick someone in your life that you know fairly well that you think you can do a decent impression of. And not necessarily vocal mannerisms, but more this person, you know, who they are, what's down in their soul. This could be a friend or a neighbor or a former teacher you had or a professor or someone you think you could get really get into the shoes of and walk around as. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm just gauging whether I... Uh... It would only be funny in introducing the premise if I tried to do you right now, but my execution would be poor enough that it would soon, all of the humor value would flow out of it very quickly. Again, as we've talked about, you are very quick to judge what will and will not be funny. And sometimes perhaps this before this thing even starts, if we're already presuming it won't be good or whatnot, maybe that's not for the best. For people... Listening at home, your eyes were scanning the ceiling as though going through a Rolodex of people in your life whom you feel you could, you could be. 
it just it would require paying attention to other people and their <laughs> mannerisms and what they have to say and not completely just focusing on myself. Exactly. So that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a difficult start. Correct. But, all right, I think I yeah. have someone in mind. All right. Now, here's the, the fun part, which may or may not allude to the lesson I had picked. In some ways, say you picked your next-door neighbor who was just a, a great guy who lived, lived next door growing up. You could probably, even though that person may have worked at a carpet distributor, you don't have to put the scene in a carpet distributorship in order to be that person. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. So this person hopefully will be, and you'll be able to portray them independent of location or circumstance. So if I get this thing started, you should be able to just be that person wherever I choose to put the scene. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks for diving in here. I'll go ahead and get this thing started when we're prepared here. Oh, man. What a day. I mean, tell you what, Q1, end of Q1 is miserable. End of Q1 is miserable. Ugh. I'm going to grab my lunch here. Do you mind if I, can I, can I sit with you? You want to chat or are you? Oh, uh, sure. I, I'm, I have some things that I have to get through right now, but I'd, I'd be happy to chat with you. I mean, if you're, I mean, no, no, no. Look, look, if you're busy, that's fine. I'm just, I just had four hours straight of just nothing but work and I just kind of wanted to cut loose and socialize a little bit. But I mean, if you're, if you're busy, that's fine. I can. No, I was just, uh, how do you feel about dragons? mythological dragons and yes of course i'm talking about mythological dragons they're not real dragons in the real world sure yeah they're fine i guess you know uh dungeons and dragons you know and hobbit and whatnot those are those are pretty cool i guess yeah i'm gonna grab my lunch here i'm gonna throw it in the microwave what, what do you got there what do you got there in your lunch uh, some leftovers just some uh chicken taco filling you know i'm just gonna kind of heat it up and eat it with some corn chips yeah i don't eat chicken anymore i i felt like there's too many problems with the supply chain and just a lot of disgusting stuff really gets in there while they're, the chickens are living in those cramped quarters. And okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, my wife, she buys the, she buys the whole foods stuff. So hopefully these chickens had a, a more pleasant life than other chickens, but, uh, you know, that's that, but you know, whatever, it's actually a pretty good recipe. You can just you paste McConaughey sauce. Don't get the sauce. I get the sauce. It's more liquidy. So you can cook with it. You know, and it's got that liquid in there. It's, it's pretty nice. Oh, boy. Yeah, I love when when stuff is really liquidy. I think that sort of the liquidy, the more liquidy, the better. I mean, it, I guess it depends what you're trying to do. Yeah, it does. It does. It does depend what you're trying to do. I've seen you around the office. You work down in IT, yeah. Uh, yeah, am I supposed to use the person's name? Sorry, I don't, this is... You can use any name you want. Okay, I will use a different name. Sure. Because I, I don't want to out the person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm uh, uh, Christine. I've, I'm down in IT, and uh, I've been there a little while, but I, I don't, this is not what I really want to do. I'm studying marine biology, and I just have so many other things that I, this is just really something to, to to make a little money before I go back to school. Oh wow, marine! Bi- you're studying marine biology in your free time? No, I mean that's what I was doing before you know COVID hit, and now it just it seemed pointless to keep going to school, and so I thought just uh, get something to to fill the time, and I do a lot of the gaming with uh, with my. I, Running a few few remote games with my uh, family members and and friends and uh, and just uh, I am uh, volunteering at an animal shelter. Okay, that's great. That's great. Yeah, like D and I played a little D and D back in junior high, stuff like that. Yes, I mean I don't think that it's really worth it to learn the other systems, even if you're doing something that's not in a fantasy campaign, because D and D is so flexible that you could use it for absolutely any setting that you want. Okay, yeah, well, we just mostly just did you know dragons and. Uh... And dungeons, really. I mean, we just kind of kept it there. I mean, my current campaign is really dragon heavy because I am so 
into dragons. And so I had a character that was, uh, uh, it rode on a dragon and had a dragon best friend and could turn into a dragon. And so when I'm doing it with the, the one that I'm running, I kind of encourage that I, I mean, nobody's gonna, <laughs> match my level of dragon enthusiasm, but it's, it's, it's pretty dragon heavy. I introduce dragons really wherever possible. I mean, they might be in a shop and I would just have a dragon be the person checking them out and just, just kind of make them, uh, uh-huh. I don't want to say as mundane as possible by, by exposing them to as many dragons as possible, but just, I just really like the majesty of them. And I think having them, uh-huh. uh, persist throughout the environment as much as possible. I mean, it's called Dungeons and Dragons, but there's so many games that don't even have dragons in them at all. It's ridiculous. Uh, sure. Well, that's great, Christine. You know what? I'm that I think about it. Those numbers are really, I got to go hit those end a quarter, end a quarter numbers here. It's nice chatting with you, but I'm going to, I'm going to book if that's okay. Have you, do, have you, I mean, did you want to get back in a game? We might have a, we might have an open slot, especially, I mean, somebody like you who's, who seems to, who seems really to share my love for dragons. Well, you know, maybe my children, maybe my kids, I got a 10 and a 13 year old. They might be interested, but that's, that's, you know. I'll let okay. them know. I'll let them know. If you want to put something on the message board, you got a thing going. Oh, I'm going to cruise. Uh, take care. Hey, ANC. <laughs> we did it. I really enjoyed that, Mark. I enjoyed hmm. the hell out of that. Hmm. We'll see <laughs> when I reveal to... Uh, so this was my niece. Who Fair enough. We just mm-hmm. had a, a giant birthday for her. And at some point during that, we were, we were talking, and I, I really liked the way she said something, and I tried to imitate it. And I did it in sort of a Minnie Mouse voice, which was not very accurate. <laughs> well, so I did not try to do the voice. And yeah, that's what is your, when somebody does an impression, they're usually, unless they're very scientific about it, unless you're going to be, you know, a, a, unless you're an Oscar caliber actor portraying this character and you really want to invent, you know, you pick up some superficial characteristics. So sure. I do not think she just brings up dragons to random people, but she is super into dragons. (laughs) I I thought what you had was actually perfect for the purposes of this, of this improv scene. It was outstanding. And again, the people out in radio land are going to have no idea who this person is and they don't need to know who this person is. They don't need to know it is an impression of somebody else. You at the office diving into this whole dragon monologue was ridiculous and fun and interesting and it had a level of detail. We talked about detail in the past. And it's that level of detail that gives this person an identity. It makes them distinct from other people. We could do this scene top. Hey, can I sit with you in the break room? And you could just do nothing but people you know from your life. And we could do it back. We could, we could keep going back and forth and get such different distinct scenes. And the only variable we're changing is who this person is. And I think that's kind of interesting. We can also take your niece, who's probably a lovely person, and I'm glad they've found something that they love in their life, and that's important, and put them in a million different scene tops. I could have them working at Burger King. I could have them the CEO of a bank. I I, I could put them anywhere, and they can still be who this person is, always trying to get dragon, (laughs) shoehorn her, her love of dragons into every scene. And I think that's a cool, interesting lesson that there is a kernel inside of all of us K-E-R-N-E-L, of who we are that exists independent of our circumstance, independent of our location or vocation. And that is something that we can, we can definitely leverage as performers. I really like pointing out that division. I was definitely thinking this week about just how 
given any circumstance, any layout that as not only creators, but as moral actors, that there is something, I think there's a deep disconnect between people often think that your circumstances, your, your character dictates what you should do next. But I think there's quite a lot more freedom that we have not only just in what we can do, obviously, but what would be actually appropriate to do. There's so much, you know, especially if you see life as creative in the way that art is, in the way that improv is, that there's this sharp disconnect between the is and the ought. Oh, yeah. And in fact, that's the little I know of philosophy. Isn't is ought a fallacy? Like, isn't there somebody of note who, who said that? The is ought fallacy? That is uh, David Hume is the guy that is known for that. Okay. Just because something is doesn't mean it ought to be. Just because here's a part of the neighborhood where a lot of poor people live doesn't mean they ought to be in that position in life. Well, it's more a matter of you might think there are reasons. So you might think that the presence of a lot of poor people means that you should help them, (laughs) for instance. And that seems very natural, but it as a logical fallacy, right? It doesn't actually follow. There are poor people. I should help them. You have to have a prior premise. I should help the poor. And I guess what would ground that kind of premise? I'm just saying I have heard of the is-ought fallacy. Uh, (laughs) That was all I had to say. I just want to push a little further on this. So what possibly could be a reason? I'm not saying we shouldn't help the poor or that it's really in question. Of course, I think we should help the poor. Mm -hmm. But why do we think that? What is it about? us, about the poor, about that situation, about our duties in general that make it could serve as a foundation for that. If we presume poverty to be temporal and not a inherent function of a given person and that any one of us could befall a certain set of circumstances, and if not us, our children or our children's children or our children's children's children could end up in that position, then perhaps we can model the behaviors we would like to have happen for us. I guess you could say that there are things that happen in life, natural disasters, disease that are completely beyond our control. And perhaps there is a lot of life that is further out of our control than it possibly could be. And that we come together as a society to help each other when these things out of our control happen. You know, we all share a cave because there's going to be a torrential rainstorm, caveman times. You know, we all come together as a society to help and support each other A parent dies tragically while hunting, going back to caveman times, and the community takes over the children and and raises them. And that humans work together because there are so many unpreventable boogeymen out there in the dark, and that us as a species would never survive if we were working by ourselves. Did that go further than you thought? (laughs) You started just by basically saying in a more general sense, we should help people because we do <laughs> because well, because we ourselves we ourselves may require help yes but then the last bit about human survival that was getting at something about the way the world is right we are the types of creatures that have evolved over time and if we did not in general display altruistic behaviors then we would have died out long ago if you could imagine a parallel type of human you know I, i'm not exactly sure that this is strictly speaking true a lot of the picture of survival of the fittest in fact, seems to go against that, that it's actually the people who maybe at least restricted their help to their family members. You know, I want my genetic material. (laughs) 
to screw everybody else. I'm not going to just help people in general, but I'll at least help the ones, you know, in, in uh, my I'll, tribe, in yeah. my, in my group, in my, mm-hmm. yes, yes, there, there are certainly, we are a family that it can only grow so large. And then once our family group grows large, I'm sure there's been some studies about this that like there's a fixed number to how big a tri, a hunting and gathering tribe can be. And if it grows any larger than the people, they, they, they no longer know each other. You know, it's, it's the other people in that same tribe grow certainly larger. Hey, how many calories, how much land area is required by a hunting gathering people and how many people can that support? And once you start getting larger than that, you would require both agriculture and some kind of legal, <laughs> you know, some kind of ruling class or something. If you're going to have anything larger than I'm sure a, a sociologist, if they're listening, is like, oh, totally. It's 120 people. That's how big it is. You know, there, there's, there, there's probably a, a family sharing size limit. All this to say that inside of a family, you share, you're generous. You know, it's very communist inside, literally a community inside this family. But once things grow larger, those things tend to fall apart and you need other, other models. Boy, this got really broad. I'm sorry. Did I take this like <laughs> I wonder if we broad? could uh, start a scene to go back to those ancient times sure. where uh, we cannot, as you have advised recently, use our best intelligence of how the world actually works now because this is thousands and thousands of years ago in a cave and there are two cave people. And how about this? I will be someone from my life that I think I can do an impression of. Let's do that. So uh, I was just uh, taking my lunch. I had some leftover uh, bones here. <laughs> totally, uh, I was going nib- to totally. nibble on some bones here. Uh, uh, Dude, hit it. Hit those bones, man. Those are yeah, fantastic. do you want to hang out a little while we eat some bones? I mean, I got, I got some, uh, you could even chew on Bro. this one with me if you want. The answer is yes. I hope there's some, they got a marrow in, marrow in those bones? I think there's probably a good amount of marrow still in there. I mean, these are from Dude. a kick-ass. I mean, were you were you in the the party that went out and got this thing? Uh, but uh, it's about a week ago now. I mean, this is not a, a new. Someone bone. I heard kick ass. Do you mean awesome, or do you mean someone was kicked by a, a mule? On which? Well, I, there was definitely uh, kicking involved, but I mean, we we took out a goddamn. I got a. I think it was a dragon. I think it was whoa, a. Whoa. I mean, it was it was a big sucker. And yeah, it did kick uh, Larry. High five, man, that's I mean, awesome. Larry, uh, Larry has a concussion of some sort, um, but it, I, I think he'll be all right. I mean, he he always talked kind of funny in the first place. Yeah. Well, dude, scoot over. Don't bogart the log. Let's sit on this thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. No. Here you go. Uh, oh, good bones, man. Good bones. Yeah, I like. I mean, this thing had a lot of ribs to it. Uh-huh. This is a it's a it's a pretty good rib. I mean, yeah. I tried to uh, bring more of it back to the cave, but I kind of put it on the edge of my um, rock vehicle, and it it knocked the whole rock vehicle on its side. It was kinda, it was it was kind of out of control. Yeah. What what uh yeah what you been up to? Nothing much, dude. Not gonna say much. I'll say this: I was wandering, searching for some berries or shoots, new tree shoots. Found another tribe. That's all I'm gonna say. Found another tribe. Get this, they paint half of their faces some kind of red color. Yeah, weird, weird. Yeah, like half of their face is like red. I don't know if it's blood or some kind of beet juice or something, but they paint half their face red. That doesn't sound, I don't know. That sounds weird. Should we just preemptively take them out? Well, we, is that what the talk around? Well, What's, when's the... You got you to start a convocation. You got to blow the shell. Ostensibly, to, to the- yes. Ostensibly, well, we should probably check them out first. Maybe, you know, watch them, see what they do, 
see what kind of stuff they got, you know, see if they got anything better than pointy sticks. You know, maybe they got figured out some kind of like, I don't know. All right. I mean, if anybody that paints their face like that, I, I, I got serious suspicions about it. that's pretty well, messed up. I know. And get this. It was the dudes and the ladies who had painted faces. Was it the same side for the dudes and the ladies? Yeah, or the was and it the ladies and the ladies. They may not be ladies. They might be like dragons or something. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's possible that you got some transformation going on. And so the things that we hunt were, in fact, people that have transformed into the things. But I haven't actually seen any evidence of that. I, oh, I mean, bro. I guess whether or not that's the case, I think if I see a dragon, I'm going after it. I mean, that's just me. Okay. Well, I hope you're calling for backup first. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, we got the team out there. Yeah. I mean, we, we like one is like, uh, Hey, there is like sneaks up on the side uh-huh. and, uh-huh. and then you like look over, Oh, clever girl. And then you like, you just, you jump on it from all the sides at once. Boom. That, uh, that has, that has, I learned that trick from my daddy who learned it from his daddy who learned it from his daddy back to back to back to back. All right. That's, that's a good trick. All right. So why have you not been, I mean, you've just been doing this berry stuff. You know, you haven't been coming out on the, on the hunts recently. You know, I'm. Just because it's you and me sitting around the campfire chewing on bones, let me just say, I'm trying to cut back on my meat consumption. Okay, so you're just going to wait till it's, it's, but marrow's okay? or Well, I'm just trying to slow down a little bit. I'm just trying to slow down on the meat consumption a little bit, you know. You know, sometimes after I eat, if I eat a lot of meat, I eat another butt meat, and then I go behind the magic tree to do my magic business. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, everybody goes okay. behind the magic tree. I mean, what do yeah. you, what, duh, where are you going to go? What's the issue? And I need to say, it was your great grandfather who said, don't choose the magic tree by the river to do your magic business because the elves who live in the river who nourish us don't want our magic business by their water. So hats off to your great granddad on that one. Long story short, when I eat a lot of meat and do my magic business, it just kind of hurts and comes out funny. And I just, you know, during the spring, when we're mostly eating berries and things, it just comes out so much nicer, my magic business. And then, you know, the fall comes around and the winter and we're eating nothing but meat. And it's like, man, my magic business is not fun. I mean, there's there's the process of producing the magic business. And I understand that can be more or less comfortable. But then, you know, the magic business is part of the cycle. You got to produce the the really beefy magic business is the only thing that will satisfy the gods. It's, it makes the plants grow. I know the elves don't want it in the river, but even the elves, I think, want the plants to grow, so they grow by the river and make the river blue. Well, I mean, the animal magic business that some suspect should be sprinkled on the ground, I'm leery about that. I'm, le- I'm not in fully in that camp yet. That animal magic business is somehow makes the plants grow. I just want you to know that right now. I'm not fully there yet. So, yeah, okay. Animals are big, and even maybe we shouldn't kill the dragons because the dragons would give even bigger magic business, but I just think that there's something about their magic business that is not as good as far as the gods are concerned. It's not like, you know, it's not a sacrifice for them. Look, here's what I'm saying, okay? Just because my magic business hurts, should it hurt? Does it have to hurt? That's what I'm saying. Does it hurt? Yes. All right. And maybe this is kind of a, just because something is, does that mean it ought to be? And just because the magic business hurts, does that mean it should hurt? It, just because the magic business hurts, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Like, you know, we do our duty, literally. 
And uh, we, what do you mean, literally? It's what the gods require of du- us. Now you said duty. Is that another? It is. Is that what you call the magic business? Duty? It's a certain lingo, I guess. That's kind of funny. I'm going to start calling it that. I got it from another tribe. It's not, I don't know who these, these Whoa. face people are, but over to the West, there's the, <sighs> God, the ladies are so hot in the, in the, in the red. You've seen the red face tribe? They got, it's not red face. The ones to the West, they got the red left cheek. They just, they, huh? they color only their left cheek red. That's weird. They're strange. It is weird. But we should shun God them. God damn. It is sexy. <laughs> Look, I, if you want to go live with them, that's fine. But just so you know, when you're here, you're family. When you're there, you're there. And you know that. And, you know, I can't just be giving you animal bones when you're over there. We got to barter for them. And if you're willing to barter, that's fine, you know, but. I just like to go over there and take a little tail every now and then. It's just part of the economic exchange. I leave some of my magic business with them to satisfy their gods. Ew. And I get really? to, uh, I get they're to be into magic. Their, they're into the magic business. That's their red, thing. That's gross. Red that's, butt women's. That is objectively gross. Different strokes. Mm, that's a stroke too far. And scene. We did it. God. I, I keep they try to think of a stinger to end the damn thing. <laughs> well, how was your, uh, yes, your friend? Did you lean heavily into your impression there? There was a cool dude there. But then uh, once we got going, once the concepts started taking off, you weren't merely leaning on the character to be the thing that was driving the scene. Well, that's just it. The scene is not an impersonation of a childhood friend of mine. That's not what the audience came to see. They don't know this person. They don't care about this person. It is a doorway through which I discover who I am, who this person is, and what they're all about. I can find a voice. I can find mannerisms, just as you did in the prior scene. My goal is not to impersonate this person. My goal is to have a good scene and have a scene that's fun and interesting and whatnot. So once my (laughs) impression of my friend has served its purpose, I can still honor everything that was set up top. I can still honor this person, but it's going to go where it goes and I'm going to follow it, you know, where it goes and think about the kinds of things this person might do in this caveman world. But A, number one, I have to be true to the scene that I'm in right now, not the scene in my brain or the scene that I wish it was. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, we're busy building the mythology of fecal matter and uh, could not be distracted by such (laughs) issues as character. I enjoyed myself. Let me just tell you, Mark, you did a fantastic job staying in character, keeping that balloon in the air, keeping that scene going for quite a long time. That was quite a long scene, I believe. And it, it was. Even if it wasn't necessarily, you know, if people at home want to feel like that was a boring, uninteresting scene or that was an amazing scene, simply as a can we live in this world indefinitely, it was an amazing teaching scene. It was an amazing learning moment, I feel. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think we demonstrated that there might be some disagreement over what you should do given your understanding of, say, God's desires regarding your uh, fecal matter. (laughs) Okay, well, now you're talking about the content of the scene, not necessarily its creation. The content began to decide its creation, that it became the matter, whether it was foreign matter inserted from our earlier discussion, but it seemed like it was a, yes. a helpful 
breakdown of some of the practical issues that the prime thing that people thought before they were reflecting on what our nature is as animal beings was what God wants us to do. And of course, if God wants us to do some stuff, wants us to put our our fecal matter by a particular tree or not by the lake or whatever, if the elves are part of the ontological furniture of what's going to drive what's important, then uh, you do what they say. And it is this whole is versus ought thing. Yes, it is technically a fallacy, but is a matter of being consistent with what you believe. If you Uh think that what your tribe's gods and the elves dictates matter, then yes, there is a something that you have assented to, a normative claim that I should do whatever the gods and the elves want me to do. And until the gods and the elves disagree or the gods disagree among themselves, then at least I have a clear guide to go forward. And it seems it becomes a little pedantic to point out that well, strictly speaking, what everybody, anybody else says or what evolution has programmed us to want or to do, that doesn't actually determine, you know, we're still uh, beings without a primary essence that forces us to do anything or that forces our good to be of a certain type. But we have plenty of guidance all around us. Is it possible for a society of human animals with no knowledge of germ theory or chemistry or biology to naturally discover that when they don't put their toilet by the water source, they don't get ill. Sure. Yeah, you don't need a theory for that. You just need <laughs> for a trial and error. Well, how do you explain it? Do they explain it or do they just like, that's just not what we do? You started again, your description of why we help people is that's just what we do. When the tribe... Why don't we pee in the water? Why don't we pee and crap in the lake? I think that the reasons that have gone into creating custom are often easily lost to time, especially if we're talking about a pre-scientific society. And that is where a lot of folk wisdom comes from. I mean, it's okay to question that stuff and to want it tested. Yeah. But like, you shouldn't, the fact that history has given us some directives on stuff we should do, like, that's pretty great that history has done that. I'm trying to suggest that that's how, like, religious edicts and customs, these customs that we can't really question or really understand, grew from survival strategies that were not logically explainable due to the science at the time. Why is it that a dead fish mixed in with these uh, corn kernels makes the corn grow more? It just works. Well, that's not good. It just works. Why? Just Because the corn elves. The corn corn elves. It makes it pleases the gods. It pleases the gods. It's a sacrifice to the gods. All right. Can we get this done? Now, that's a little flip. (laughs) That's a little flip. And I'm probably condensing decades of this into, uh, into this moment. But I have certainly used with my children trying to explain things that I have to dumb down quite a bit. And it becomes, it makes the car happy when you change the oil. When you change the oil, why are we at Jiffy Lube? Well, you got to change the oil. Well, it lubricates and there's a detergent that cleans the residue of the, it makes the car engine happy. It makes the car happy, you know, and. But daddy, <laughs> I, why should we, the cars are slave. Why do we care if the car is happy? The car should be be so uppity. We should obey. It should obey our will. They have no sentience. That's fine. But a happy car will run longer and better and nicer. And we don't have to buy a new one. Let's keep the car happy. If you just whip the car, (sighs) I think that you don't need to to (laughs) cater to its needs. And you're really spoiling the car. Okay. You know what? Here's the thing. We're going to honor the car or you're not going to get a treat after dinner. 
All right. Fuck your tree. You don't control me, you bastard. Go to your room. Go to your room. Go to, you see, you see how, you see how this works? You see how that, again, this is a very human thing. And I, I kind of, it kind of rubs me wrong when people ding religion or faith or whatnot, when it is such a huge part of our everyday lives and not faith in a necessarily a uh, r- religious standpoint, but just this whole notion of we have to do things to the best of our knowledge. And that best of our knowledge is even now deeply lacking in, in, in true understanding. Well, here it is again. I think, I think faith is a part of humanity, the human animal, uh, and that without it, any societies that didn't operate on some kind of faith-based or, or have some notion of faith or spirituality, they probably existed, but they also died. They also got conquered by the ones that did have some kind of understanding of that. In the same way that you know, everyone gets tired and sleepy when it's raining outside, I just want to curl up and read a book. I'm sure there were some human animals that were like, oh, it's raining. Let's go outside and play in the rain. Well, they, they all got cold and died. Uh, so what we're left with by, via natural selection is, oh man, every time it's raining, I just want to stay inside, curl up and read a book, you know, and look at the cave paintings that we are the children of those cave people. Yeah. And there's probably a reason why we're all so snarky that we would look at those people playing outside and say, those idiots, they're just going to die and we should just let them because yeah. they're so stupid. Yeah. I thought you were going to keep your kids from coming in and interrupting the show again, but there was some knocking. There was some subtle knocking. I thought so too. I thought they came in and, and did that whole thing with you about the car. No, there was some subtle knocking. Oh, that was not, that was a, was <laughs> that an that elf? Last that was a. Well, you know, it's that, that's just it. <sighs> I don't want to get into it, but it never happened. But then once it happens once and they understand the cost that is incurred by disturbing, they then are able to make a decision next time. Am I willing to pay the cost of disturbing dad when he's on one of these calls? That is why I need to steadily increase the cost, which after this phone call, the children will be told that the penalty for disturbing me once was a friendly talking to, but now it's going to get more expensive. And they need to understand that, as I've told them, blood or fire, nothing else. And I'm going to imagine this was less than blood or fire. Well, I thought that what they had to say about uh, not spoiling the car was actually very wise, and you should let them come in whenever they want, if they want to uh, <laughs> chime in in that way that they just did. Yes. That that is what I'm referring to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be done with this competition of today and let the, uh, the judge bot give the verdict. So crank, 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 fizz, fizz, sizzle, sizzle. All right, I'm suggesting some sounds that it could make. That's but it fine. it seems like it just really works silently. It's just, it's not very dramatic to have a silent machine working with us here. So I, I've got the piece of paper, and uh, this is a little more detailed. So the philosophy, you did really good things with it that I pretty much just kind of said, or, you know, you identified early on, this is odd distinction thing. But then you took it in some really interesting directions. So some points for that. But overall, the fact that we were able to improvise for so long and that I was actually comfortable letting it go that long without freaking out at the fact that not everything was funny and it seemed like it was just going on and not necessarily going anywhere. So those were some good scenes. So I think improv wins this time. Bruce, a more profound effect. And I'm telling you, if you didn't feel that those scenes were funny, going from there to hilarious is much easier than going from self-conscious to hilarious. <laughs> 
Now, that was not my lesson for the day, but I was uh, painting the, yeah, wh- while I've been painting the fence here, what mm-hmm. is it that I've in fact been doing? I mean, I thought I was just learning about how to incorporate a character into, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from using life influences, but clearly it was something more subtle than that. Uh, something a little bit deeper and more general than that. Specifically, we were using characters from our, people from our lives, but can you put that in a more general case, Mr. Philosopher? Uh, just that have a vivid, image when you're doing a character and don't make it up as you go have something that is already an organic hole to draw on perhaps i think that's great the simplified nature is that who you are is more important than what's going on and that if we worry and put our energy into being who and worrying about who we are then the what is going to take care of itself it becomes a bit of a dummy variable you know like i discussed earlier about you know with your niece we could have been anywhere we could have been yeah, sitting at Denny's, we could have been at a bar, you know, hey, going to buy you a drink? I love dragons. You know, it's like it, it's independent. The what becomes a, a fungible variable. Yet when people talk about a scene afterwards, oh, man, that scene in the break room was hilarious. I love the break room scene when what they should be saying is that, you know, that was not the variable of consequence. That was not the variable that really carried the burden of that scene. What carried the burden was Dragon Girl. And I would love for people instead to walk away from that scene. Man, love Dragon Girl. Can't get enough Dragon Girl. The fact that it took place in an office is tertiary at best. So yeah, who you are is more important than what's going on. All right, cool. Did you have any uh, guesses for you? Well, I yeah, say a little (laughs) more. I mean, I I think we've set up, but did you have any further comments, thoughts on that? I was really trying to circle back to a thing that we had hit in the first episode. So let me give that as a clue. Okay. And, uh, say a little more about what, what you got out of that, and then I'll give you the magic term that never I, came <laughs> I, I might be ready for the magic term. I, I, got on a little t- I got a little bit on a tangent. I was kind of speaking off the cuff and not really metering my own, <laughs> my own location very well. But there was definitely something about, well, now I'm having a hard time remembering. The, the first thing, after that first scene, you had a little thing about... About the is-aught. The is Well, certainly the is Was that it? Was that was it just the is Was that it? The magic term is meta-ethics. So that when you're not talking about what exactly you should do, but what possible things could ground what you should do. So in the first episode, we talked about rules versus their application. But even sort of that is within the realm of, I mean, that's part of meta-ethics, but that's not crossing the is-ought distinction, right? The rules are oughts. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of like, I've got these general rules, but how do I apply them specifically? Well, underlying that, you would think that the rules are not just random, although their origins could be hidden, as you mm-hmm. very helpfully pointed out. But you would think that they have some relation to the way the world is, but the relation is just way more complicated. And I was referring to, in, in talking about God's rules and how you could just defy God's rules, that's a, that's a fundamental point of existentialism, that there really is no just excellence that we have as human beings, that is just the way that we should be, the way that we should act, it really is a stark and kind of scary amount of freedom that we have, not just in what we choose to do, because of course, even the most stern moralist thinks that we have free will and can choose to disobey God's laws or disobey whatever it is we're supposed to do. But just that there, since an exit, you know, somebody like Jean-Paul Sartre thinks there is no God to be laying these rules out in the first place, those are all just things we picked up from experience or whatever, you know, that there's no reason we should think that evolution or anything else has made us into optimal creatures. And so just obeying some urges that you have or some, you know, there's so many examples of types of ethics that seem to be 
designed to tamp down on human urges, you know, certain forms of Christianity that are just like, all sex is bad, all desire is bad, all pleasure is bad. And there's probably some reason why some particular society that was on the verge of dying out, for instance, because they were so hedonistic and no, no, we need these things to, they, they yes. probably serve some instrumental purpose at some point. In But you should just, yes, you should, <laughs> you should take these rules with a grain of salt and make your fresh observation. It, like that is a, a primary fundamental thing you do in moral philosophy is, is scan the ground yourself yeah, and, like make, that. And, and try to figure out. So this is why I, it was just an accident that the way you started talking about improv happened to lend so well to this, but it, you know, it was a great piece of synchronicity well, that I really do. I'm, I'm sympathetic to moral theories where life is an art and it's not that you just, you know, art can do anything, Yeah, but there are multiple ways that you could go and construct something that is coherent and that you would, you know, not feel ashamed of. Sure. Wow. I think we did it. That was outstanding. Awesome. I really enjoyed learning from you today, Bill. And I enjoyed learning from you, Mark. If people really like the show, they should go and become supporters at patreon.com slash philosophy improv. And perhaps there'll be other ways in the show notes to uh, do that as well. But you will find our after talk where we let you hear that for the first bunch of episodes. And now you don't get to hear that. So it's going to be a good one today. It is. I promise. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.